Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz, and thanks for checking out the latest edition of my podcast. This week's episode comes to you from the Toronto International Film Festival. I am sitting in a nearly empty room at the lovely Fairmont Royal York. I'm not staying here, but I'm doing some interviews here. Uh, it's been a crazy film festival. This is one of my favorites. Um, Toronto always kind of a precursor to the Oscar season, and there are a lot of awesome films here. Um, but challenging to find the time to spend 30 minutes with cool people for a podcast. Luckily, that's where Simon Pegg comes in. Simon, um, who is awesome in all things, is uh, awesome in a new film called Hector and the Search for Happiness, and was kind, kind enough to agree to sit down with me for uh, a lengthy chat for the podcast. Um, Obviously, you know Peg's work from his work with Edgar Wright um, in Star Trek and Mission Impossible. He's, in fact, filming the new Mission Impossible right now. Um, but Hector is a, is a cool one for him. He's, uh, he's the lead of the film. He uh, really it's, – it, it's between this one and um, The World's End, uh, I feel like the last couple of years we've gotten to see a different side of Simon Pegg as a leading man. So cool stuff in this uh, conversation uh, to come because I'm going to confess something. I'm recording this introduction before I talk to Simon. I am a poser. I'm a liar. But this conversation is going to be amazing. I know it's going to be amazing, right? Because it's Simon Pegg. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this chat, which is about to happen, but has already happened for you. Whoa. My brain just melted. Um, enjoy this chat with Simon Pegg. And as always, hit me up on Twitter, uh, at Josh Joshua Horowitz. Let me know who you want to hear from, and um, enjoy. Always a pleasure to see you, Mr. Simon Pegg. Hey, buddy. This is we've, we've talked in a lot of different circumstances. We've talked uh, New York, London, Dubai, but we've never been in a in a creepy, virtually empty <laughs> Toronto uh, hotel room. In a shining style. It is uh, <laughs> carpeted <Rum>. walls. <laughs> yeah. Why are those two twin girls, by the way, sitting in the corner? They've been there all day. I don't know what they want. It's strange. Are those those your handlers don't now? Don't pan; they'll disappear. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, you're here. Actually, I've seen both of your films, by the oh, way. You have? I, oh, cool, I got a chance cool, cool. to see both of them. Excellent. Um, I know uh, Kill Me Th uh, Three Times uh, and Hector, which is about to come out. Hector yes. and Search for Happiness, which um, did that come out in the UK already? Is it it did. Yeah, it came out last month. Just very, very recently. So you've got your your answers totally like figured out. You've it's done your been press. a very yeah. I mean, the kind of promotion for Hector has been pretty fun in a way because it, it, it's thrown up a lot of philosophical kind of d discussions. You yeah. know, it, the, the 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 subject matter is. Is pretty huge, so it's actually been fairly um, interesting, therapeutic, even I'd say, talking about Hector, which is uh, which makes a change. Do, do you do you find that is, is that a weird thing? Like, are you talking more about the subject matter of the film in a way after you've made the film than in the prep for the film? Because I mean, do you take it on a more literal basis when you're about to do a film? You know, know the lines, know the intent, but you don't necessarily, I don't know, need to know the philosophical ramifications of the storyline. Yeah, I, that's absolutely <laughs> true. I, f I think y we did a lot of talking during the shoot about, you know, happiness and what makes you happy. Usually, as simple as that, you know, why, what makes you happy? Whereas afterwards, there's been real room to sort of ruminate on on the, the grander sort of implications of it all. And and also, you know, getting to the end of the filmmaking process, which was a journey in itself, and and realizing that um, this whole idea of happiness as being something which you're chasing is, you know, it's the wrong way to look at it. It's not, right. it's not, because it, it's a rainbow. It's something that you're running after that you're never gonna get to. Right. You have to kind of understand that it's the running that's the thing you're supposed to savor, you know? Exactly. Um, 
which is an interesting idea. So in the middle of, uh, you're nice enough to carve out, you and, and, and Team Peg have been nice enough to carve out um, a, a good chunk of time for this podcast today, but you're doing, I know, probably a lot of like short form, the crazy junket things. The which, kind of, yeah, the, you know, which you've I done hate, it, you, you know hate, it's like, both, it's just you not barely ideal. get time to sort of like. It's insane. Yeah. It's the worst. So what's the go-to junket question? What's the, what's the one that I would be asking you in a normal four minute slot with you? It tends to be what makes you happy. Yeah. That, that seems to be the, do you say getting out of this room no, knowing that I'm going to be leaving the room in three minutes? <laughs> no, because, you know, the funny thing is, is the answer to that question is not a short form answer. It's yeah. a kind of a, it's not as simple as that answer because because happiness, it's not as easy to grasp as, as you know, something. it's not something that you can a- a- achieve by, say, you know, going on a, a walk on the beach. You right. have to be happy before you go on the walk. Right. If To enjoy the walk on the beach, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You can paper the cracks with certain things. You can, you know, wear this or drink that or whatever but ultimately if you're not happy before you do those things you're not going to be happy afterwards right you know there are and we're sold these quick fixes all the time right retail commerce it's all about particularly in these sort of affluent societies that we're lucky enough to live in because life isn't about survival it's about consuming we're constantly led to believe that if we do certain things or buy certain things specifically it will help us to achieve happiness and none of it is true you know right it, it will it will give you a brief relief or it will give you some sort of amusement or comfort or something that c- can stand in for happiness. But happiness is something a little more. Except for pie. A good Except piece of for a good uh, bit of pie. I mean, that, sure. that is true happiness. Absolutely. Let's not. Let's, there are exceptions to the <laughs> rule, of course. <laughs> I mean, pie being the main one. Right? Am I crazy here? <laughs> yeah. um, it, I mean, it, it's, it's a great film. And, and on a personal level, like just as a fan of yours and, and being friendly with you, it's exciting to see you in this kind of a role because it's it's a you know obviously you're the guy in this that a that's always cool but it's it's a it's a you get to play a real arc for this character and he's in the middle of an existential crisis or comes to one pretty early in the film yeah yeah um i mean give me a sense of sort of like are, are you looking is it important for you at this stage to kind of like get a chance from here and there to kind of be the guy in a film as opposed to in an ensemble You've yeah absolutely both, i mean i you know i often see myself referred to as a comic and i'm not i haven't been a comic for 15 years, you know, I'm sort of, uh, I, I, I stopped doing that. I'm, mm-hmm. I would say I'm an actor now and a writer and acting is not necessarily just about, and I don't just do comedic acting. Even in our comedies, you know, they tend to often drift into dark totally. territory, you know, yeah. which we do to color the, you know, the, the palette. And that's what Hector's all about. It's that you have to have everything. If, you're gonna, if you want to have happiness, you have to have the whole deal. You have to have unhappiness, you have to have fear, right. you have to have loss. You have to know exactly what each color of the emotional spectrum is in order to keenly understand which color happiness is, you know. Right. And it's, that's literally broken down at the end of the film when Christopher Plummer's character sort of has this machine where he assigns a color to each, uh, each right. emotion kind of thing. So as an actor, to get to play the full spectrum as I, I got to in this film was, is great. It's a bit of a gift because you, you know, get to flex different muscles. By the way, let's talk Christopher Plummer for a second, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know where the conversation's going to have to immediately go to General Chang. Yes, of course. Talk General Chang. That was my way in with Chris. It <laughs> was mean, like... It would be for me too. Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> one of the great Klingons, Eye Patch. Uh, I know. Uh, wh- what did you think of his performance in Undiscovered Country? A sort of Klingon out of time as well. He was kind of a, right. a, a different take on that. Uh, not the Christopher Lloyd, like, crazy... No, not the bach, bach <laughs> kind of Klingon. He was more a sort of thoughtful... Yeah, Shakespeare-loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was my... That was my. When I first met him, I was like, hey, we're both in Star Trek, rather than, you know, anything else, at the Sound of Music or 
<laughs> it was just, uh, yeah, I went full Klingon does, straight away. Does he embrace? Is he okay with Star Trek? Or oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah? He's cool. Uh, Chris, he's funny because he likes to be contrary, like, for fun. So he will, uh, you know, he it's apparently he hates talking about the sound of music. He doesn't. He's very proud of it. <laughs> you know, but he, he loves the fact that if you if you do bring it up, he'll go, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> he knows it's not. He's just having you on. Amazing. So um, talk to me also about, I assume you didn't shoot this all like an avatar in a green screen somewhere. You actually, you traveled the world for this one. We did. We shot it in green screens across the world. <laughs> uh, no, we, we started off in Vancouver. And then, um, and Vancouver actually stood in for lots of places in the film. Yeah. E every single location we went to, is a, there's a little bit of Vancouver there. You okay. know, the interior of some of the places in China and South Africa are actually Vancouver. But we then went to London, shot all the exteriors in London. Then we went to South Africa, to Johannesburg, and, and sort of suburban and rural Johannesburg. And then to Shanghai and Chengdu and Tibet. And Crazy. Yeah, it was a real, I mean, it was such a journey, a literal, you know, physical journey that um, I think there, there, there was like a parallel growth in me, I think, to Hector's. It was pretty a uh, pretty amazing job. Are you recognized virtually in all these places at this point, or can you go, can you, <laughs> are you big in South Africa? Or are you, you know, the funny thing was in China, we, every time we get to an airport, there'd be like a group of like 20 girls, and they'd all have stuff for me. They'd all have like, they'd have a sign, and each one of them would have a lovely little gift of, so they're probably usually made. Or, or, or at the very least, a sort of stuffed panda. And uh, <laughs> it became like... Uh, Wait, was it the same 20 at every airport? <laughs> yeah. Because they, they, the they have the a lot of disposable income. <laughs> <laughs> they would follow me around. They'd be on the same plane, if I'm honest. <laughs> They'd come out behind me. Um, no, it was... The, so that, 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 there's, a very, there's a genuine interest in China in sort of Western culture. And, sure. you know, there's, there's plenty of sort of Benedict Cumberbatch fans in, uh, <laughs> in Beijing. And um, obviously, I'm sort of like a... a, 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 a cut price Benedict Cumberbatch so uh, you're a way to get closer <laughs> to Benedict <laughs> yeah but uh so that was interesting and and in South Africa too uh yeah I guess I guess that there's that the, you don't realize that you are having a effect globally until you you get to those places and people know who you are yeah which is which is nice you know I I want to talk a little bit about, um, you, you mentioned kind of throwing people, I mean, doing more dramatic work, you know, obviously first being known as a comic, but, and I think you were alluding to this, especially in the, the Cornetto trilogy, and especially in the last one, World's mm -hmm. End, which I feel like, for me, even going in, um, I felt like it was a misdirect, it was, but in a great way, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, obviously by the end, what you realize is that that's one of the most complex, fascinating characters you've played, Gary King. Yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah. And I think a lot of people, I think you might have confused a lot of people in a good way yeah, in, that, in yeah. that like oh wait this was about something much deeper and much more profound totally, yeah. than um than maybe i thought walking into the theater was that do you think it was interpreted in the way that you you guys hoped and and, and kind of like appreciated in the way that you guys wanted it to be i think the people that we wanted to that you know we made it for people who were able to decide for that kind of stuff i yeah. mean it, it, on one hand, it's a film about guys fighting, you know, robots. Right. But on the other hand, it's about much deeper things. And it was always really nice. You don't want to spell this stuff out. You, right. know, you never want to kind of have to say this is what this is about. So when people pick up on it and they get it, it's really nice because it means that you've kind of done your job. Now, not everybody will, but it, uh, unless you spoon feed people, that's always going to be the case. So yeah. for us, you know, we made the film that we wanted to make and we made it... Um, on our, in our, on our own terms, and and so it's been really gratifying when people say, "Oh, I get it," you know. Yeah. I get that it's it's actually about a suicidal alcoholic. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's not just guys <laughs> fighting robots. Right. And people that miss the point, I'm like, well, I don't give a sh whether you like it or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, 
tell me a little bit about. So you meant we talk, we kind of geek out a little bit about Christopher Plummer, General Chang, and that kind of thing yeah. in, in jest. But like, what what I appreciate about appreciate about you, I feel like, is that you you're able to kind of operate both sides of the brain at the same time. And mm -hmm. I, like, we're in that you obviously can carry the scene with him and and whatever. But you're you're never losing sight of like the privileged position you're in mm -hmm. and the whatever the twelve year old kid that remains inside. Yeah, yeah is, yeah. is that something that you feel like is important to you to kind of like keep in check and like realize? The, you know, being in a few franchises like you are, working with a caliber of directors and actors, um, let's not forget that this is, it's work, but it's also yeah. a living kind of a dream for a lot of people. It's, this is, and, and it's a thing that is key to this movie as well, because it's about remaining in contact with your childhood self. And that's yeah. not to say that you should ever be childish or arrested in your sort of de development as an adult, but we set a lot of our kind of emotional parameters when we we're young. We have a very pure view of the world when we're young. It's not burdened by cynicism or responsibility right. or the you know the inevitabilities that we come to terms with as an adult. If you stay connected to that, it enables you to enjoy life on a on a purer level, you know. Yeah. So I try and whenever I find myself in a situation like meeting Christopher Plummer or whatever, or being in Star Trek, I always try and think, now what would I have thought of this when I was seven or something, right. you know? And try and get a vicarious sense of that by you know, sort of role-playing that in my head. And, and it always leads to a sort of like, oh my God, I would be amazed by this. <laughs> right. And it's, it, makes, it makes my life more enjoyable. Yeah. If, you don't, if you can't access that emotion, then you're not going to enjoy life as much. You yeah. know? I think, what would my seven-year-old self say? <laughs> you know, I went to see JJ on the set of a certain film recently, and I was like, what would my seven-year-old self say if he could see himself looking at that? particular spaceship. Do you would, know what I mean? It would be the first expletives you probably ever exactly. explained. <laughs> and it helps me to understand just what a joyous situation yeah. that is, you know. I was talking to, to Matt Reeves uh, recently and he was saying that JJ's as excited as he's ever been. I mean, he, the, the weight's on him, obviously, as it was with, with Trek. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but more so, I think. I think because his first, lo his love, you know, he, he, he was... He's connected to He came at, st yeah. at Star Trek as a kind of, you know, he'd, he, he hadn't always been sure. a... A dedicated fan like he he was of Star Wars and he was able to approach it with a, a level of um, you know removed yeah. kind of objectivity whereas with Star Wars yeah I've never seen him so kind of like energized and excited and also kind of you know concentrated and it's very exciting stuff so you're playing Jar Jar Binks I'm playing the son of Jar Jar yes. wait the son of Jar Jar oh wait, that's exclusive because we the reports <laughs> are that you're Jar Jar but you're actually Jar Jar wouldn't have made it past 30. <laughs> I mean, his mates would have killed him. I was joking. I actually I saw Benedict, actually, this oh, morning. He's in town for uh, Imitation Game. Yeah, I saw him last night. Yeah. Um, he, uh, did you know he does a, as good a Jar Jar as I do? He does? I swear to God. We've done it back and forth. It's, it's actually... What you think you, you guys must have You passed. think it's hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so never... I can't okay, imagine you, a more awful room. Yeah. <laughs> trying to talk, act Jar Jar each other. <laughs> You can talk to one of us at a time, but if you see us both in a room, <laughs> get the fuck Run. out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for giving me the heads yeah, up. Yeah, just trying, you know, trying to help you out. <laughs> um, are you uh, uh, hoping that we're going to see more of Khan? What's the, I mean, in this next yeah, Star Trek? I don't know. I mean, you know, as far as I know, um, what I'm hoping, and these are kind of unconfirmed things from the grapevine. Sure. Um, we're, we're hopefully going to make it next year. Right. And that, by my math, would bring it out on the 50th anniversary, which right. would be really nice. I don't know if that, that's not a, you know, a promise. Um, I know that we're now on the five-year mission. You know, that's been set up. So we're off into space now. I don't know where they're storing Khan or whether he could come back, but obviously, you know, Benedict was a great presence in that movie. And, yeah. and Leonard came back for um, 
for the for, for into darkness. Yeah. So, and of course, there's there's community. Who knows? Who knows? I, you n- never say never, is it? Okay, so as a fan, and I'm a huge trekkie. I went to conventions. Like as I a went kid. to my first one this year. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I literally I have I have like Gene Roddenberry's autograph as oh, a kid. Wow. Like I did it the whole the whole thing. Yeah. Um, what did you make of? Because I honestly, I, I'm not just saying this because you're here. I liked Into in Darkness a lot, but yeah, I know yeah. the hardcore fans. A lot of them didn't for yeah, whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, and, yeah. and like, were you caught off guard by that, or are you just so inured to all that, and you're like, I get it, whatever you want, it's fine. I can see their point of view. I, I I understand why when you love something as much as you know the hardcore fans of any franchise do, you have a particular. Well, I mean, I'm you know, listen to me and my my dislike of the prequels. You know, yeah. I'm I'm venomous about them, yeah. and and there are people out there who love them and probably hate me because I don't like them. But I, with Into Darkness, I got it. When I read the script, I just loved the fact that they'd created a sort of companion film to Star Trek yeah. Two. It was like it felt like a bit of a love letter. It was an acknowledgement. I think the the hardcore fans were. Uh, a little bit disgruntled that we it was still quite earthbound. We hadn't quite gone off into space yet. Right. We were still hanging around in our own solar system. Um, I get that. Um, but it was such a kind of fun adventure. And I like the fact that Kirk is is shown to be very human in it and vulnerable and, and kind of makes some mistakes. And uh, my, Here's my quibble. I kind of want, I feel like they should have let him actually die. For, I mean, obviously, at some point, come back, whatever. Like they oh, did well, the first. At, at the stakes of it, I felt like you, we were robbed in the end. I feel like it's it's an emotional moment. It's a it's a really emotional scene. It's it's nice, but then like ten minutes later, magic con blood brought him back. That was my only. Oh, problem. I see. Kirk saying yeah, dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's such a. I know, but that would have been too similar to the arc of. Yeah, because the, the next, next one you would have to be about Kirk, bringing him back. Yeah. yeah, I like the switcheroo there. Yeah. I like the kind of. Uh, but and in order to do that, there had to be quite a convenient way of fixing it quite quickly. Right. And the calm blood kind of worked because it was, you know, of course, it's it's genetically yeah. modified. It makes sense, yeah. So we kind of had our cake and eat it there. Yeah. But sometimes you cheat a little bit, you know, just to, sometimes a moment is worth fudging the details for. I get it. And I, I love the, I love the, when I read that role reversal of, of the death of Kirk. Right. Uh, and, and it's parallel to the death of Spock. I just, I thought, I thought it was neat. You yeah. Know, I, I liked it. And I, it appealed to me as a fan. But. It, these 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 properties are so delicate, and I respect. I'm f- I f- I'm famously quoted as saying "fuck you" to a a, 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 a survey that they did at one of the conventions where they right. listed, which I, actually I was kind of saying it to the journalist. I, I, I we we were doing the interview. I think it was the first one of the afternoon. I'm quoted as saying it was the first one of the morning. I think it was the first one of the afternoon. And the first thing this guy told me, he kind of just sort of surprised me with this question. Oh, guess what? A bunch of Star Trek fans think you're shit. <laughs> And, I, and what do you say to that? And I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> you know, and it was pretty much to him I was saying it. I get it. I totally get it. It's not an icebreaker. That's not no, a way no, to start no. off a it conversation. Felt like, it felt like a divisive way to start a conversation. Right. And I was a bit like crabby after my, my lunchtime <laughs> nap, you know? Well, let's also be frank. I mean, you can have quibbles with it. I've seen all the Trek films. No matter but it's not the second worst, the oh, worst. It's come not. on, people. It, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, come on. Even, I mean, William Shatner would tell you that the... the uh, Final Frontier? Yeah. <laughs> but they did have a campfire scene in that and make marshmallows. That was, yeah, that was the nice. row the boat. But the rock <laughs> monsters he never got, he probably would argue that that's the worst. Um, Do you know who's supposed to play, the rumor has it, was supposed to play Cybok in that one? No. It's supposed to be Sean Connery. <laughs> really? Well, because you know the planet they go to? Yeah. It's called Shakari. Ah. Literally, there's, there you go. I can imagine him in that role as Couldn't well. He, right, he the same beard, good. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's a good concept as well, the whole laughing Vulcan thing. That, right. That was an interesting... There are great things in all the movies. You know, the execution varied. Um, but I, for me, you know, Into Darkness was... 
such a fun film to make. Um, fan quibbles aside, you know, it, it, it's something that I'm really proud of. You should be. Um, and uh, from franchise to franchise, because you have seven going always at <laughs> once, uh, you're in the middle, you started Mission, right? Yeah, we're at the beginning. We just we started in Vienna uh, like three weeks ago, and we're currently, they're currently in Mar. I left them in Marrakesh uh, fighting evil. Uh, <laughs> I'm going. Should be on a t-shirt. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> I'm going back in uh, to work on Thursday. We're having a blast, actually. It's really good to be back. Chris McQuarrie at the helm. Um, has had such an eclectic group of directors yeah. this series. You know, from De Palma right through uh, John Woo, JJ, uh, uh, Brad, Brad of course, yeah. and that Such Chris. a smart move from the beginning to, yeah. let, to let it, to, like, I suppose the bond, which I mean, also obviously mixes up directors often, but still kind of has a consistency, and this does too, the characters are consistent, but even down to look and, and tone, there's always a slight, it's like you get to feel yeah. the director's stamp on it, which I is think nice. That's, and that's all Tom in a way, he, he kind of, he's at pains to, to evolve the series and, and have yeah. it be a kind of, each one be a standalone. I mean, if you look back through the Bonds, I would be hard-pressed to name five directors no. of James Bond films. Or like in fact, seven three, by maybe. Like some guy named John Glenn, but like what we're, yeah. you know, it's like. <laughs> I know, <laughs> wasn't he a spaceman? Yeah, um, <laughs> did it all. Yeah, so so these, it's, it's an interesting thing to be part of, and each one has its, a different feel. We have a new uh, uh, female um, character in this one, played by Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson, right. yep. who, is, who is so much fun, oh, classic cool. Swede, really, really <laughs> pragmatic, very funny, incredibly beautiful. Uh, just like Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> All the Swedes are beautiful. I just went to Stockholm for uh, vacation, actually, a week ago. Yeah. And I walked to the airport, and literally there was, like, I, 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 this is what I dreamed I would hoped when I walked into a Stockholm airport, giant poster of Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, he's the it. president, I think. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that, that's a great. I, I, I love, I'm not one of those actors who does one for them and one for me. Right. It's not like I'll do a Hector in the Search for Happiness and then go off and I have to do Star Trek. I love doing those movies. Yeah. They're so much fun, and they're as much part of our cinematic culture as as the, the most earnest art house movie and anyone who says it's not is a snob you know yeah. there, it, there is room for pure entertainment and pure entertainment is a valuable thing um so i enjoy doing both the kinds was the was getting the first mission kind of a shift in the career i mean obviously we're well on your way to like uh, great stuff thanks to sean etc which was probably the biggest yeah shift but in terms of getting a foot into kind of quote-unquote hollywood Big time kind of filmmaking, like in the, of that sort. Absolutely, was Mission yeah. kind of like a turning point there? You think that was my yeah, that was my kind of my big opening in, into that kind of uh, realm. And um, how did that happen? Was that little? Is that through? Is, is that Tom was JJ? Is JJ? Yeah, that, that's because J, JJ's very much, you know, he 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 likes to cut through the kind of um, the bureaucracy of filmmaking. Like mm -hmm. if he wants an actor, he'll go and ask them rather than ask their people to ask the people who know the people. Right. And so he. <laughs> He called me. I was writing with hot, with uh, Edgar, uh, writing Hot Fuzz with Edgar, and the phone rang in the office, and I said, oh, "JJ Abrams is on the line for you." And I'm like, would, would, "Alias JJ Abrams?" And like, yeah. "Yeah, yeah, he wants to talk to you." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so I went and took this phone call, and he literally said, "Hey, I thought it'd be fun if you were in Mission Impossible 3." I remember going back to the table and Edgar going, "What was that about?" And I went. <laughs> I'm going to be in Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> and the mushrooms in the other room are fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a very, you know what, and I'll tell you, in terms of relating it back to Hector, I got to LA to do the movie. I, Having never done a film of this kind before, yeah. they, I, I sort of holed up in this Beverly Hills hotel and just sort of waited for information. I went out to see JJ. They were shooting some scenes, kind of met him. I was very jet-lagged. I wasn't in a particularly good place then, personally. Okay. I, I was a little bit sort of, 
I was in the midst of a, a, a personal crisis of my own, you know, just in terms of what I wanted from life and mm -hmm. my own happiness. And and I remember sitting in this hotel thinking, okay, so I now I'm in a movie with Tom Cruise. I'm in a Hollywood film. Th this this supposed you know kind of nirvana that you were supposed to head towards if you're an actor. And I really am not happy as a person, you know. And I realized that those things don't bring you happiness. Yeah. You have to be in the right place to enjoy those things. I've since sorted all that out. And I remember going back to JJ later and going, do you remember that when I did, wasn't it difficult? And he's like, yeah, I remember. And now I'm like, I've got a handle on everything and I understand my place in the world, which I think is the kind of key to happiness is knowing, being okay with yourself, you know? Right, but is there a balance though, like in terms of, because you wanna, I would think for many people, it's useful to set goals, to strive for more, to kind of push yourself. Yeah. But if we become too goal oriented, does that lead to just daily frustration? Why am I not? I, I've I've gotten to this level, but why why am I not getting that film? Why are they going yeah. to this guy first? Yeah, I think if you yeah if you if it like I say it's uh, if it's about the goals you're going to get into trouble. If you actually enjoy the journey, the yeah. goals don't really matter, you know, because it's about getting to each one. And if you know if you reach one, then sure, set off on another journey. But always enjoy the journey. Don't yeah. think that it's the end of it that's going to bring you the joy. It has to be getting there. You know, that sounds very trite. Yeah. I think you know this job is is a series of journeys and uh, as an actor you know whether it's the, f the physical traveling or, or playing a character or hanging out with a particular group of people for three or four months you're constantly on these journeys you're abandoned all the time as well because you get to the end and suddenly these friends that you've made that you got very close to they all disappear into the wind right that was what's so nice about making the world's end and then doing Hector with Rosamond because we at right. the end of the world's end we just said oh see you next week you yeah, know yeah, it yeah. was lovely so we didn't have that usual has, has sadness she, has she snuck you a peek at Gone Girl yet I keep asking her about it. She's Rosamond's so cool because she's she's not sort of like uh, she's nervous about it because it's like it's huge. Everyone's talking of about course. it. Yeah. You know, early reports are amazing. It's Fincher. It's a huge role for her. It's a it's a major. I remember when she was showing me stuff early on. She showed me stuff on her iPhone of some of the, the looks for the film and you know just just seeing the kind of things she would be doing. You know. It's gonna be amazing for her. I'm so proud of her. Yeah. It's gonna be awesome. This might be the, the moment, the, the fuck you moment for me. But I'm curious, just like when you look on the on the like the trivia and stuff, were you you almost did Inglorious, right? Speaking I of did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost did. So should we thank you for Michael Fassbender's career in a, in a sense? Because that was that was. <laughs> I mean, he had done some amazing stuff already, but I yeah. feel like that's where the radar he got on everybody's radar, and that was supposed to be your role, right? Well, yeah, and and I and, and I'm glad, it, and I've spoken to Quentin since then, and he sort of said, "Thank God you couldn't do it," and <laughs> rightly so, you know, because Michael a Michael was able to. One of the biggest challenges of the role was to, to speaking was speaking German. Right. Michael has some German and was able to, you know, pull it off so convincingly. Um, I had a bizarre week. Here's a here's a nice problem to have. I I'd, I'd said yes to Tintin, and um, you know was very excited about doing that. And then Quentin Tarantino offered me that role in Inglorious Bastards, and I had a week when I was having to choose between Steven Spielberg and Quentin Tarantino. Now that's not a terrible problem. <laughs> we have P.T. Anderson waiting on the line, and yeah. Fincher in the other room too. By the way, I was I was I was <laughs> agonizing over it, and I I was actually quite sort of like frustrated and sad, and I suddenly stopped and thought, what are you, what, what are you, This isn't like are you going to die or not? This is so. I in the end because I committed to. To Tintin, it was like it was a simple decision. Right. I, I get to work with one of my favorite ever directors, and I work with Quentin at a different time. And thank God I did because Michael was so good in that movie. You know, yeah. so uh, let's bring it back to the important stuff: Star Wars. You, you're, you're, <laughs> uh, uh, your child is uh, probably approaching the age when she can start to appreciate a Star well, Wars. Well, I film? showed her. Um, I showed her. I, I couldn't wait. 
when she was three, we got it out. I kind of, we, I played her the music in the car and we used to listen to it on the way to, to, to preschool and stuff. And she would... The Imperial March? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did frighten her? Yeah, no, she, <laughs> she, would, she still sings that. There's a, there's a song that she sings. It's our dog's name, which she sings to the tune of the Imperial March. It's a complex story to tell. But she, we, we listened to the music and I would tell her what was happening like an audio book to the soundtrack. And then she said, can I see the film? So we watched the first Star Wars. She... Really liked it. Little scared at the sand people. Right. Little scared at the cantina. Got bored towards the end. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. She really liked. I think that was her favorite. Weirdly, Return of the Jedi. The Emperor was too scary. We'll go. We'll go back to them. But the key moment watching uh, Empire Strikes Back. And I told JJ this story, and JJ took this story into into meetings about the new Star Wars, in terms of how he wanted to make it. A, a decision he'd already made. Yeah. This was a nice little um, bit of ammunition. We were watching the film, and Yoda came on, the Frank Oz Yoda, and, and, and she'd never seen Yoda before. She'd seen pictures of him, and I think she'd probably seen him on the Cartoon Network in Clone Wars. Right. So she'd seen the animated um, Yoda, the CG Yoda that was currently advertising Vodafone on UK television. <laughs> she'd never seen the puppet, and the puppet came on, and I saw her kind of sit up and look at the TV, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, Daddy, he's real. That's amazing. And I kind of like, I literally teared That's up. Amazing. I was like, <laughs> oh, my daughter. You know? <laughs> You're raising a right. I know. So I told JJ this. I said, listen, you know, and I, I, was, I was at Pinewood one day and uh, uh, visiting JJ, as I would, of course, abuse my friendship with him to go and see what was happening down on set. And um, one of the puppeteers, you know, because JJ's using, it's, it's a well-known fact. I'm not giving anything away. Sure. He's being... Uh, very old school about his approach right. to the filmmaking. He's using a lot of physical effects, a lot of masks, a lot of real stuff that's there. Um, one of the puppeteers said, oh, are you the guy whose daughter saved Star Wars? And I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> and I've tried to explain it to Tilly. She's too busy talking about you know, Barbie and stuff. Still, I think that they're going a step too far that they're using the giant Mark Hamill puppet <laughs> instead of Mark. <laughs> I mean, real it's Mark just Hamill. rude. It's I just, know. He's still around. He's good. I know. He's looking good as well. He is. <laughs> I, uh, I've sort of a few of his sort of Instagram shots of him with his beard. He looks awesome. You there know. you go. Clearly a little Alec Guinness uh, yeah. influence there. Well, he's the same age as Alec Guinness was when he made the is first that one. That's true. Which, is, uh, which makes... It's crazy on both sides to yeah. think that Alec was that young I, and exactly, that Mark yeah. is... Guys at that time were older when they were younger. And to think that Harrison Ford is 10 years older than Alec Guinness was when he made the original Star Wars is a mind-blowing That kind fact. of math is... I mean, it still strikes me. I mean, even going back, Harrison Ford makes you think of Last Crusade. Like, Sean Connery's only, like, 10 years older than I Harrison. Know, he's playing his dad. <laughs> I know, I know. Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, needless to say, you have not shown her the prequels. No, no, no. How are she you hasn't really... That? I don't think she'd enjoy them. I don't think that... I think... I think she'd be pretty bored by any, them quite any, quickly. Any peg of worth will not enjoy the... No, no. <laughs> I honestly don't think... I, I, I haven't watched... I can't really... I like to watch films with Tilly, and I can't really watch those films without going, ugh, all the way through it. <laughs> but I, I just think that that very honest reaction to a physical puppet, for me, really underpinned the importance of using physical effects, not overusing Absolutely. CG. Yeah, yeah. I think CG is a brilliant tool. It's so great, and it's settled now into it it's like, for me, it's like synthesizers when they come along in the 80s. Everybody was like, drums are dead, man. No more guitars, that's Burn it. Them. It's all need them and, and there was that period when everyone was using synthesizers. Yeah. And then gradually they, they took their place in the pantheon of musical right. instruments. Now, computer-generated uh, images are used cleverly and subtly and can be used to augment stuff. They don't have to be everything. Right. Because they can be quite airless. And the, f the, the overuse of them in the prequels made those films feel like sort of like cartoons in a way. Sure. And they lost a little heart, I think.
Do you feel like, obviously, um, you've written, co-written uh, several of, you, of your projects. Is it important for you to always kind of have your foot in that realm, too, to be developing your own material, to be creating work for yourself? Yeah, it's, it's, I, f I, f I feel it's uh, vital for me. I don't think, you know, if you, if you subtract my own films from my body of work, then, y you know, it, I, I have a flimsy career. You know? well. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the stuff I've done away from Edgar sure. and Nick, but those films form the heart of what I do and I want to be able to keep doing that and working with those guys you know yeah. Edgar and me are already talking about what we're going to do next and I said foolishly said in an interview uh, oh we made three films in 10 years we could do that again and then the next thing I see is that, oh a new trilogy coming <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, times yeah, two. I know which is not <laughs> the case but we could we could you know we, yeah. we're not necessarily going to launch into another three part thematic film cycle but we might <laughs> make I don't know you never know and I, I feel like our own experiences away from working with each other only compound our love of getting together and making sure. films, you know. Now, now that, uh, I mean, the whole debacle is too strong a word. What yeah. The, what, the, what happened with Ant-Man? The Ant-Man Ant incident. The Ant-Man incident, <laughs> as we, also, we shall call it now. Um, so were you going to be in it? Were you going to get any role? No, no, no. I, I, I think it's important for Edgar when he makes films, for all of us, for Nick, Edgar, and myself, when we make films away from our little group to to have some distance yeah. between what we do there and what we do elsewhere. And I think that's why Nick and I weren't in Scott Pilgrim. Right. You know, it was a very, um, you know, Edgar was very, we didn't expect to be. It felt like the right thing to do was sure. separate. And I don't think with Ant-Man, there was never any plans for Nick and I to be in it. You yeah. know, it, it was something that, because that, that would be a little gimmicky, I think. I, you know, if Edgar makes a film and asks me to be in it, then I'd always say yes, because yeah. I love working with him. But, um, you know, that's just the way that turned out. I'm sure it's going to be, it, it'll be a great addition to the Marvel Universe. And Like, are you going to be able to watch it? Like, I mean, and this, this is not even particular to Ant-Man, but I'm curious, like, when you get to, again, a level and know the participants and know how the sausage is made, are you able <laughs> to kind of appreciate films in the same way? You feel like, again, yeah. going back to seven-year-old yeah. Simon, is, some, is anything kind of, like, detracted in terms of your enjoyment of films you think at this point well you have to i think there, there's a critical faculty that you have which you you can never switch off but you have to kind of background it a little bit you have to ignore right. it like noise and um that that comes from being like a film student and learning about not just being in the industry but yeah. learning about film and knowing the entire intricacies of the technical process of making a film when you watch a film you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit more just yeah. to ignore that stuff you know, you can hear ADR and you can see stuff that's been reshot. Right. And you, you, if you really want to enjoy something, you have to make sure you, you turn that stuff off. If you do start noticing that, it's because the film's not entertaining you enough. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you think you'll direct at some point? I'd love to. I really, I found something recently that I, I really wanted to direct and I investigated, had meetings about it. Unfortunately, the timing didn't quite work out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would really love to. That's something I'm excited about doing. I mean, do you, you know, I've talked to so many actors about different kind of like what they look for in a director. You've got a fine one in, in, in Hector and Peter, Peter yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, like what's, how much direction do you want? Like what do you, do you want to be given total free reign or do you want them to come up to you in, the, in between takes and say, do this? Do, oh, you ever, do you ever want a line reading? You know, I mean, how far do you want it? I like being directed. I, I feel like I'm there. You know, the director is the is the captain of the ship. You get, it gets a little dangerous when the actors start thinking they're more important than the director, I think, in filmmaking. And I like to be told either that I'm doing the right thing or what he or she needs of me, you know. Right. And like working with Brad Bird was really interesting because he came from a, a medium where he could manipulate his actors literally, you know, he was from <laughs> animation, so he could change their very facial expressions. 
and he kind of was like that you know i remember him first the first scene we did on ghost protocol he came up to me and was telling me exactly how he wanted me to do the line and i was like all right okay <laughs> I, I i like this you know this is sort of this means if i get this right it's exactly what you want it's fine as long as he says like uh, and now i want your arms to expand yeah. like 15 <laughs> yeah, feet like yeah. which you realize we are you know, i'm human right <laughs> yes physics does enter into this brand i'm sorry to yeah. say. i think you also learn a lot from like collaborating with someone like Tom, who, uh, Tom Cruise, I don't know why I'm calling him Tom because he's my best bud, but like, <laughs> but, but even just from my side of things to see how he carries himself and see how he, it, he's the first one at a premiere. He's the last one out. The he's a consummate professional, It's Tom. amazing to watch. He's so old school and maybe I don't even know if back in the day they were like this or he's just unique. I think he is the, I was talking to a producer about this recently, about him, Tom being like the last of a particular breed of movie stars. Yeah. And it's because he, applies himself 100% to his work and he loves that's what brings him his happiness is 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 that endeavor he is so committed to what he does yeah it's inspiring and and he's also a producer so he's more than an actor when sure. he's particularly on a film like Mission Impossible which he has a vested interest in it's a personal film to him you know he's also doing producer things on set he's right. he's aware of every facet of the production and, and been around him he's he's fun he's a lot more he's a lot less complex than everyone thinks they kind of see this mysterious character who's crazy he jumps on sofa he's not really he's kind of like a regular guy who does an extraordinary job and it's funny when you get to that part of him which yeah. is just the normal person and you're looking at him and talking and just being normal you think hey you're Tom Cruise <laughs> <laughs> right. and he also has that unique ability as like you hear about like the again that point zero zero one percent of movie stars where you're talking to him there's nobody else like he yeah, just, yeah. He, and and he's present yeah. he's there but that's sort of like he's incredibly courteous he was raised yeah. in kentucky he was raised in the south and right. his mom raised him right to right. be like right. to have interest in when you're talking he's not allowed his movie star kind of status to turn him into a, a kind of you know aloof rude person he the, the part of that is just courtesy yeah which is nice but i um yeah i i really like him i find him to be a a fun, fun person to be around just because he's fascinating. And he knows, he's, I'll often say, he'll tell me something and I'll go, well, of course, you're Tom Cruise, for God's sake. And he, <laughs> he always finds that funny. But like the other day, we were, we, we were on the subway in Vienna and he said, he said, I made this movie called uh, Risky Business. And I was like, oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> to look that one up. Did you really? Oh, let me just get on IMDb and check that. Of course, I know you made oh, Risky Business. that iconic scene with you <laughs> and, and insert 50 movies. But he didn't, he, he didn't do it to be, he's not like, no, yeah. You know, I was in this little band called the Beatles. You know, it's <laughs> it, it's just it's more like he wouldn't assume that you knew. It's kind of sweet. It's amazing. Yeah. What uh, enjoying anything in the TV realm right now? I know you're working, but are you binging on anything? Uh, I tell you what, I really enjoyed was True Detective, and I enjoyed Excellent. not binging on it because I watched it week by week, and I forgot how nice it is with serial TV to give that to give it a week, yeah. you know, and to have to spend a bit of time with the episode and not, and which I had with the last series of Game of Thrones as well because. I was watching it as it was aired, so I'd have a whole week to kind of digest. And yeah. I, you don't get that with binge watching anymore. Yeah. Have you seen Fargo, by the way? I loved it. I yeah. just, I just watched the first five episodes like last week, and I was just, it's amazing. It's, it's one of the best things I've seen in years. Brilliant. Martin is incredible. He, he's, he's so good as an actor and as a character. He, he, he inhabits that role. But Billy Bob. And Alison, uh, uh, who plays the... Yes, um, I'm blanking yeah. on her name, but yeah, just she was nominated for an Emmy, and she's amazing. Wonderful. And just how amazing is it to take a film which was 
It wasn't like that film was like, oh, we could do more with that. No. Fargo is a brilliant <laughs> Oscar-winning movie. And yet they managed to somehow... It's just a riff on it in a way. It's, just, it's and, fantastic. And it be... This is happening a lot now. They're making a series of, of Westworld. You know, they're taking... Which has an amazing cast. Yeah, yeah. And also, there's another... What else? Oh, Hannibal is a very interesting show. I've heard. I haven't seen it, but I've heard yeah. it's actually quite good. You know, you take a film kind of... This is... It's a very interesting evolution, I think, in terms of how TV and film are are becoming less discernible. And, right. you know, the more our TV screens become like cinema screens, exactly. the more fi uh, theatrical film becomes like big light shows and things that you have to go to see yeah. in, in a kind of big sort of theater, the more these kind of like TV versions of films are happening. It's, it's an interesting... Well, once, once like Fincher signs on to TV, it's like all bets are off. Yeah. Any, like, yeah. Fincher, it's good enough for him. It's good enough for literally anybody. Exactly. And how, and how people kind of how people sort of enjoy television now it's there's there's a whole thesis to be written about it yeah. interestingly bringing it back to Hector one of the things that I've I've really really loved about watching this movie with an audience is the communal experience yeah. which is one thing that people sometimes forget about theatrical cinema right. they see it as being oh yeah we're going to see it on the big screen like that's all it is there is something to be said for watching a film with a whole bunch of people you don't know no, totally an incredible community and with Hector because it's all about because it's quite a spiritual movie and people often come out a bit like dazed and smiling and and <laughs> sort of like having been through a bit of a journey themselves it's lovely to sit in a room full of people who go th and go through that with them yeah and and it's it's something to to remember when you're thinking about shall I watch this at home or watch this away right you will lose out on the feeling of sharing an experience with a whole bunch of people we're, we're becoming quite solitary as animals you know the more we get like this the less we're enjoying those moments of, of togetherness. I sound like a hippie. Sorry. <laughs> this is what happens when you do a movie called Search for Happiness. happiness I know. <laughs> Peg has turned into a complete hippie. And you can't see it on the podcast, but he's not wearing anything, which seems a little extreme. He's wearing a single flower. I won't say where. <laughs> um, congratulations on this one, my friend. Thanks, uh, it's always good to see you. Um, Jar Jar approves as well. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I watched that thing we did again on YouTube recently. I saw, the, the most divisive, it was like, what can I say to really annoy him? And since I right into the court. To see your reaction when I first it did it is a beautiful genius. thing. I will never, ever not respect you for that decision. I thought it was a, a brilliant piece of journalism. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the Mike Wallace of the TV. Uh, always good to see you, buddy. Thank you, buddy. You Thanks, too. Man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.